0: Today, we're going to focus on one sentence. For those of you who thought that I, I spent too much time on a verse, I want to prove to you that you have no idea how deep I can go. And so today, we're going to focus on one verse. One verse, and in that verse, we're going to focus on one sentence in that word, verse, And the question really focuses in on how did Jesus become known as Lord? Christ our Lord. Where did the expression Lord come from? Uh, Because you know we call God Jehovah, uh, but that colloquially we call Jesus Lord. And so the question has become uh, how did that come about? Is the expression divine? Does it connote a divine messiahship? And I'm going to drill down with you as we go through this. So this is in Romans chapter 1, and I want to welcome our internet audience at the same time. We're so glad that you're with us. We're in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Uh, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power, and this is speaking with Jesus, with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what I'm focusing on today, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this phrase had the greatest possible expression in the early church, uh, from the earliest days in the in the nascent church. Uh, if a person confessed that Jesus is Lord, um, he or she was to be received by baptism. That is because they 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 understood that that expression, understanding that Jesus Christ was Lord, meaning divine, only came to you through the Holy Spirit. Turned, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is important to you as you go and spread the gospel to your friends and neighbors and family members, because I know you want people to say, accept Jesus as your Lord. Uh, And I'm going to say to you that that's something that cannot take place Unless the Holy Spirit touches someone's heart. Right? All right. You can't just repeat the words. Meaningless uh, repetition of the words is of no account. And so look here in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. And so there it is. And so if you confess with your mouth uh, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I get an amen on that? There it is. Now, the proof for that is in the Scripture. And as I say to you from time to time, and I repeat it now, if I say something without citing Scripture as proof, ignore it, because it's my opinion. And my opinion, frankly, is irrelevant. And if you watch people in, in the preaching and, and on television, and, and if you hear preaching that doesn't emphasize the divinity of Jesus Christ or does not give you scripture when you hear preaching, that's merely a man's opinion. And man's opinion is of no account. But you see here now, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, and we will get to study this, but right now it's important. Verse 10 for it is with your heart that you believe and you and are justified and it is your mouth with your mouth that you confess and are saved there it is there's no catechism 101 all right even baptism is not related to salvation all right baptism is testimony to the world that you're saved but salvation simply is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and Savior. We need to remember this when we stand on our heads sometime trying to uh, make people be saved and bring salvation to them. It's that simple. You could see it when Jesus has uh, talked to the thief on the cross. It's that second, uh, simple. So the implications now of Jesus being Lord, the expression you are Lord, uh, c- came about comes about the first time we're going to see the expression Lord is in the Greek version of the Septuagint. Now you need to know the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew texts. It started at 350 BC, uh, it ended at about 150 BC, uh, and it was written because there was a great Jewish migration into uh, Egypt. And so those people in Egypt spoke Greek fluently, a lot of Jews spoke Greek fluently, and so there was a, <clears throat> a need for a Greek translation of the Bible. And so top scholars of the world gathered and wrote this. Uh, and in the Septuagint, what you see there is that Jehovah, the expression Jehovah was routinely uh, changed for Lord. Lord, all right? Because in the Greek, it meant master of all, master of everything. And so Lord began to, be, to appear in the Septuagint. Now, the references to Lord as God are throughout the New Testament. Uh, turn, if you would, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one, for even if there are so-called gods, small g, whether in heaven or on earth, As indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So you see the distinction there between God the Father and Jesus as Lord. All right, equal in every way but the designation of Lord referring to Jesus. And so here the reference to Jesus is uh, quite clear. Yet there is but one God, but it links Jesus to God. And you understand this now. Uh, Yes, one God, one God, but in three personas. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so you see this here uh, in this phrase. Here the Apostle Paul is arguing that there is but one God, who is one with Jesus as Lord. So you see it like this, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, God. Um, And turn now to Luke chapter 2. And this is at the uh, manger scene. And the angels are making a statement about who was being born in the manger. Verse 11, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Uh, And so there, the angels themselves are using that expression. And so you see that, uh, the theological expression of Lord, Lordship, Christ, Lord. Uh, And so it picked up right there at the the, uh, manger. And so the terminology means that there is very clearly Christ is Lord and God, Lord and God. We use the designation Lord to differentiate between him and the Father. Uh, and so turn also now. It's, it's very interesting in Matthew 22. Last week we we uh, we saw Jesus asking Peter, "Who who who do men say that I am?" Ask Peter that question. Now he's going to ask his enemies, "Who do men say the Christ is?" He doesn't say who I am. The, the, he says who are who who do the uh, the religious people say the Christ will be. And so verse 41, this is Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Pretty good question, huh, Jesus? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, this was an important question to ask because the Jews believed that the Christ, when he came, would be the Messiah. But they believed that he would be a great political uh, warrior, someone who would free them from domination. And so Jesus is asking them right up, uh, whose son is he? you guys think that he's going to be a human being? The son of David, they replied. Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. How is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, in reference to the Messiah, calls him Lord? And and you see the the great spiritual depth of Jesus, uh, being able to take these verses and, and pull them apart. And then he cites that expression, which is Psalm 110, For he says, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Whoa. Gee, Jesus, I guess I never thought about that. You're right. If he calls him Lord... How could he be David's physical son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> That's enough, Jesus. We've asked all the questions we're going to ask of you. Because when you talk, you, you, you give us answers, and we're not necessarily pleased with the answers that, <laughs> that we're getting. And by the way, I want you to turn to that to, to get some depth. Turn to Psalm 110. And this is important for you because you're going to speak to people and, and some people are going to say, well, you, you know, how do you know he's really the son of God? How do you know that he's divine? And so, especially even if you talk to Jewish people, this is a great opportunity because you turn to the Psalms. So you look, you look in Psalm 110. This is a Psalm of David. This is written about a 1,000 years before Jesus would be born. And, and here's what he's saying prophetically. Verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the due of your, of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Uh, And and so the point of this is you see that this is an expression about somebody who is God, who is somebody who is co-equal with God who is sitting at the right hand of God. This is not a human being. This is God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And so it becomes important for you. There it is. Sit at my right hand until I can put your enemies under your feet. There it is. Put your enemies under your feet. It is God calling Jesus to be the savior of this world. Uh, which was determined before the very foundations of this world were created. Uh, And so we understand this. Uh, And so Peter had this text in mind also in Acts chapter 5, and let's turn to that, Acts chapter 5, verse 31. All right. God exalted him, that's Jesus, God exalted him to his own right hand, as Prince and Savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who God, whom God has given to those who obey him. So again, uh, the very definition of Lord, divine in every way. Perhaps the greatest statement of, of the definition of Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Uh, is found in Philippians chapter 2, one of my very favorite uh, passages in Scripture. Turn there, Philippians chapter 2. Who is this Jesus? Philippians chapter 2, and here, beginning in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father And the congregation, said, Amen. There it is, one of the greatest expressions of who Jesus is. This divine person who came to this world and humbled himself and never sought equality with God the Father, even though he was the creative agent for the entire universe. And so you see here all these reasons why Uh, Jesus is Lord and why we call him the word. And now the meaning of this title, Lord, shows that the early Christians uh, would not apply the name Lord to any other person. All right? They wouldn't call somebody else Lord. They wouldn't call Caesar Lord. Uh, And there's a great story there that I gave you in your notes involving uh, Polycarp. Polycarp, uh, who was the bishop of Smyrna. Now, Polycarp was an, uh, a disciple of John, the Apostle John. Um, and Polycarp was the first person who wrote and told us that John was placed in boiling oil uh, in order to kill him, and that after a half an hour, and, and John is basically doing the doggy paddle in this boiling oil, that they had to pull him out because it was obvious he wasn't going to die. And that was the reason why they, they sent him Uh, to Patmos in exile. You could only have capital punishment one time. And so now, in the year about 150 or so, uh, Polycarp is going to be executed because he refuses to give Caesar the title Lord. Lord. And so as he's being driven to Rome, uh, he has two senators there with him who who both respect him greatly and are trying to persuade him to, to use the, just say, Jesus, just say Caesar is Lord. Uh, And they say to him, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord? And Polycarp replies that he would not blaspheme the king who saved him. How's that? I'm not going to give that title to anybody else but Jesus Christ. He's the only one that deserves it. And so the title Lord emphasizes that Jesus had victory over the forces of evil. It emphasizes the fact that he is the only way we can be saved, that when he died on the cross, it was his very death that saves us, as his blood has saved us, that he has power over the principalities and rulers in the realm, the forces of evil in every way. Uh, And he is the reason why we call him Lord. Um, And it is appropriate now, really, for you to consider what is your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? As Lord, you know we say things like uh, you need, need to make Jesus uh, the Lord of your life. I reject that you don 't make Jesus the Lord of your life, he is the lord all right you 're not making him Lord, he is the lord you 're bowing in submission to him as Lord. you see the difference you 're bowing to him he 's already lord all right he 's already it 's like people that, that say that that ridiculous statement that God is my co-pilot. Are you kidding me? I'm not getting in your plane. You're behind the wheel? No, no. God is not my pilot, co-pilot. God is my pilot. Amen? And that's the the way we have to be. So what is your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? Uh, Are you bowing to him as the Lord of your life? Have you put him first in every possible way? the way you see the first century church doing where, where Polycarp would not even use that expression uh, to save his life, not even to save his life because he knew that the expression Lord referred only to Jesus Christ, only to him, and to use it for anybody else would, would denigrate what Jesus did for us. And so it needs to become the Lordship of Jesus Christ, needs to become a settled issue in your life. Um, And when that issue is settled, when Jesus is Lord of your life, then every other issue in your life is uh, addressed. When he comes first, when everything you do, everything you think about, every act that you do, every decision that you make is done in bowing to the submission of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, then your life is in accordance with the will of God. Uh, and, and the problem is that so many of us haven't done this. So many of us haven't done this. You know what I mean? You know, Jesus is Lord on Sunday, right? He's, he's Lord of this BLG. He's Lord of the preaching. All right. When I go out, Hey, Jesus, I got to live in this world. All right. I got a lot of issues. I got to contend with. I got to work. I got to work. All right, I have to. I know what it means to succeed in this world, Lord. Yes, I love you, but I'm kind of in charge of this part of my life. I repudiate that kind of statement. I repudiate that. You have to get to the point where every single aspect of your life is placed before the throne of God and you battle him. Yes, work. Yes, work. Meaning what? Meaning this. If if your job, if your boss, if your company says, we want you to go here, we want you to go there, we want you to do this, the first thing you need to do is pray about it. Is this within your will, Lord? Do I do this? Do I go there? Is this where you want me to go? Because for so many of us, we make these decisions without asking God because we've not made him the Lord of our life. We've not submitted to him. And then we wonder why, don't we? Oh, my life is not good. And I go to church all the time, and yet it's not good. Well, yes, you go to church on Sunday, but there's six other days in the week. What are you doing for the rest of the week? Are you bowing to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Uh, and, and, you know, we have to talk to our children, you know, about marriage, about decisions that they make, about spouses that are going to affect them for the rest of, the, of their lives. Have you asked God if this is the will of God in your life? Have you done that in terms of, of, of uh the person you're going to marry, or how's this? Where am I going to college? Where am I going to attend? We have people in, in this class uh, who have brilliant children, brilliant children, all right? And the question isn't, look, well, God, I know I can get into XYZ school. The question is, Lord, what school do you have for me? Where do I have to go? Where do you want me to go? And I'll give you a personal testimony about this as it related to my son. And we prayed and prayed and prayed about this. Lord, where do you want him to go to school? And and, and, uh, as a result of that prayer, God made it pretty clear to us uh, uh, that, that he wanted him to go to Wake Forest. Now, we didn't know. We didn't know anybody in Wake Forest, all right? We didn't know anybody. but We went to Wake Forest, and he started to attend a church there, that was the interim pastor was Gary Chapman. How's that? Is that good enough for you? <laughs> Gary Chapman. And Gary Chapman would, would give weekly uh, sermons, and we would listen online to those sermons, and it would lift our spirits. It wasn't just John who was being blessed, we were being blessed. And as a result of that, when John graduated from Wake Forest with dual degrees in both English and religion, he asked Gary Chapman where he thought he ought to go. Uh, to continue the next part of his life. And Gary Chapman said, I think you should go to Fort Lauderdale, First Baptist. And as a result of that, John went to Fort Lauderdale, the First Baptist, became a pastor in that church, went to seminary, uh, and eventually God called him to, call, to start his own church uh, in Fort Lauderdale, the church for the unchurched. Now, here's the deal. That all started because he went to Wake Forest and connected with Gary Chapman. You understand? You see the hand of God? You understand? Do you see how God works even when you don't understand it? That's why we pray, Lord, where do I go? You are in charge of my life. And so until we make that statement, Lord, I turn it over to you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. All right? And you know the same thing happened in my life that when I thought that God was calling me into ministry and I had grand delusions, and I'll say delusions, uh, as to what I would do, you know, I thought, well, with a guy with my experience in life, a law degree, God would call me to be in charge of some parachurch somewhere. Uh, and, and yet God, God didn't answer for a couple of years until finally a guy in his church said to me, Hey, you live down in Port Royal. Why don't you and I start a Bible study in Port Royal? Now, I'd been praying about it. You understand? But had I not been praying about it and submitting to God, what would my answer have been? Well, let me pray about that. You understand? That's church weasel language, right? You understand church weasel language? Somebody asks you something like that? You say, "Well, well, let me pray about that. I'll get back to you. Of course, that just dies on the vine. But because I'd been submitting myself to God, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do? I knew immediately, yes, yes, yes. And that's what happens. And now, you know, I look 12, 13, 14 years later and I see that God has brought all these people uh, to my classes and made me a shepherd over these people and given me responsibility. None of that would have happened had I not submitted to the will of God. All right? Not submitted to the will of God. I'm doing this to encourage you, to let you see what, what happens when you bow in submission to the throne of God. This is not personal ambition. Let me say that this is not personal ambition in the things of God. God is not looking for personally ambitious people. He's looking for servants. He's looking for people who have made him the Lord of everything in their lives. Uh, And so this becomes an important statement for you to understand that, uh, and and I and I really hope that that's the case. And so every aspect, every period of your life, you need to say, "Am I truly making Jesus the Lord of my life? He is the ruler. He is the boss. He is the master of everything that you do. He can. He cannot be Lord of a part of your life. He has to be the Lord of every single aspect of your life. And if there is a room or a part that you've." cordoned off, then he's not the Lord of your life. All right? This becomes important for you to understand it. Uh, And so all the things, every area of our life, comes under his domain. Look, folks, we are not our own people. You understand that? You are not the Lord of your life. Uh, You were bought for a price. God himself died on the cross for you so that you would have life forever. And so when we yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we then acknowledge he owns us. He owns us. I am a servant of the Lord God Almighty. That's what I am. And every day of my life, every breath that I take, every breath that I take has to be in that way. When I teach a class, I have to let people know over and over again, you know, I am his. Whatever I am, it's his. Whatever gifts he's given to me, it's his. Whatever talent he has given me, it's his. I put my face in the dust. Like somebody said to me, oh, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for Jesus. I said, really? Let me give you a clue. When you get to heaven and you see Jesus put your face in the dust, you understand Put your face in the dust. I told you, I gave you two tips. That's tip number one. Tip number two is don't ask where the Baptists are. It's an important safety tip. Jesus, I'm just, I need to know where the Baptists are. The trap door will open up. Don't go down that path. Where the Baptists, really. As if, as if Christ recognizes human denominationalism. All right? And by the way, I am licensed to preach as a Southern Baptist. I want you to know that. But notwithstanding that, I still recognize the fact that we are called to be the servants of Christ. We are the church united, the church universal. And so now you understand how the terminology Jesus, our Lord, came into being, what it meant to say Jesus is the Lord, how important that, that statement is, how great that is. I'm going to close the lesson now and then I'm going to invite anyone who wants to come up here and be anointed with oil. We'll have a short anointing service. Let's close, please. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for the study that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for what you did for us, the love that you've given us. And Lord, today I will say for myself, I promise, Lord, that you will be Lord of everything in my life. And I know that in this class, Likewise, people are making the same same statement to you, Lord. Help us and give us courage to do that in every aspect of our life, with every breath that we take, Lord. Be with us, Lord, this week. Let this lesson resonate with us and bring us back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.